I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about the business and culture of bookselling in the 21st century. Through conversations with bookstores, publishers, authors, and patrons, we'll explore how bookstores went from cautionary tale to a paradigm of small business success in the course of a decade. If you like what we're doing, help us out by subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. Reviews help us reach more people. Thanks so much for helping us spread the word. Hey guys, before we begin, I want to tell you about a new podcast from classicalchops.org called Classical Chops Studio. It's hosted by accomplished musician Brett Banducci. He sits down with composers, musicians, and classical acolytes that are pushing their music in new and thoughtful directions. So if you like listening and learning from people who are the best at what they do and on the cutting edge of doing it, check out new episodes today on Apple Podcasts. On this episode, I sat down with Barbara Jo McIntosh. She owned Barbara Jo's Books to Cooks for 20 years in Vancouver. Sadly, it closed late last year. It was a special store, and after chatting with her, I understood why even more. Part bookstore, part teaching kitchen, Books to Cooks was a model for modern indie bookstores on how to create an events and experiences-driven business and sell books at the same time. Here's our conversation. I know a little bit about the history of your store. I've actually been there twice, and uh, we can get into that a little bit later. But I just wanted to say congratulations um, on the achievement of being in business as long as you were. 20-plus years, I believe, correct? Well, 20 years in the bookshop, but I had my own my own restaurant and special events business. I basically have been on my own in business since 1987. Right. And actually, that's my first question. You have quite a history. You're a former chef. Uh, restaurateur, author, and bookstore entrepreneur. Can you connect yeah. the dots? Talk about your path to bookselling. Oh, certainly. I can. I mean, I can start off if you like with what you know I did after school. How did it all start for you? You see, basically, when I, um, you know, books were always a very big part of our lives as children. We weren't allowed to watch TV more than an hour a day. Um, we had to either you know do other things and or read. Uh, my grandfather was a great reader. My mother, everybody was a great reader. So that was a very natural aspect of it. And then I got into uh, the restaurant business and I, you know, worked managing restaurants in Vancouver. And then I went to culinary school because I'd had all, I I did it, you know, at university, I did a number of different kinds of courses, you know, management courses, writing courses, all sorts of different things pertaining to the front of the house of um, a restaurant and a business. And then I needed to hone my skills as a cook. I was a good cook, but I wanted the uh, the skills, so I went to culinary school. And then after that, I had my own catering business and special events business. And then I found a little restaurant that was for sale, and I bought it. And I had the restaurant for over three years. 
And when I closed the restaurant, it was very tough because I loved that restaurant, but I wasn't making any money. I'll call it my Harvard MBA. <laughs> it cost me that much to learn how not to do a small business. And uh, But I did. it did give me very good standing in the community because even though I didn't make any money, I did learn a lot. And I offered a lovely ambiance. It was good food. People were very comfortable there. So I took a few years to decide what else I wanted to do with the rest of my life, just did consulting and things. And then finally, I came up with the idea from reading an article about doing a cookbook store that would have a kitchen in it. And the kitchen would I would use as a marketing tool for the books. And it just seemed like the perfect fit for with my background, my love of books, how I enjoy reading and learning from books, and that I had a place that I could help other people become educated more about food and cooking. Where did you grow up? In Vancouver. Born and raised in Vancouver. And what did you learn in the restaurant business? You said you got your Harvard MBA either. What What did you learn in terms of what not to do? Well, for instance, in uh, it was a small restaurant. It was only 34 seats. And But I didn't want to charge a lot of money. But I wanted to offer a high-end product. And I didn't want to rush people. So I, real, I, you know, I learned that, well, if you're going to have that kind of restaurant, you have to charge. You have to have courage. You have to, you know, understand what you're giving people and, you know, be proud of what you're giving. Not worry that you don't have... Um, the conviction of what you're doing. Confidence. So confidence is a big thing for anybody that's doing a small business. You just have to say, yes, I know how to do this. I'm going to do it. And I I do it well, and I need to charge accordingly. So that was, like I say, those three things. Not knowing, I was treated it as an extension of my dining room as opposed to a business. Now, the, the, the bookstore business, you said you read something um, and you had this idea for using a kitchen sort of as the marketing for the books. Was there an existing shop that was sort of your um, I- inspiration that you kind of yeah. wanted? What was the blueprint? Well, there was, I read an article, it was just a little article in Savour magazine. And it was, they were talking about this cookbook shop in Notting Hill in uh, London and it was uh, they had cookbooks and they also had a little cafe in the back where they would cook recipes out of the books and people would go in and have a little lunch and um, and I thought oh that's a good idea but I couldn't make that work in Vancouver Vancouver you know they have different laws around um, uh, serving and uh, I said you know because I researched this store. And when I went to see it in London, I thought, oh no, you know, Vancouver health regulations wouldn't let me get away with this. So I said, what can I do that's similar? But so then I came up with the idea of having classes around the books. So, and I said, I'm going to bring in the authors and then I'll also have a resident chef that can cook and um, teach out of the books. So then my original idea, which was very original, all the publishers told me it was crazy that I would charge the price, but the book would be included. So whatever the book was we were focusing on, whether it be cooked by my resident chef or by the author, that was included. So that was the great marketing that you were always moving your books. 
Right. You weren't just saying, oh, come into my shop and, and see this for free. No. Had anything like this been done in Vancouver up to this point? Nothing. Okay. No, it was, it was very, I mean, people said I was crazy. Publishers said I was crazy. The public said I was crazy. My mother almost had a heart attack. <laughs> and and what, year, what year was this? 19, I opened in 97, but, you know, I started working on it probably in uh, 90, end of 95, 96. It took a good year and a half to find the right location and get, you know, my financing and everything all in order. Right. No, the, um, the, I, I, I reached out to you when I heard about your, your closing and I, I told you, I don't know if you remember that I was thinking about opening a similar concept in Los Angeles. So I'm, I'm, yes. I'm very familiar with the, with the permitting and all of the regulations and then obviously having to stare down the barrel at, at e-commerce. But it sounds like you, when you started this, uh, e-commerce was sort of kind of in its early infancy, uh, if my chronology is correct, 1997. It wasn't quite as... Uh, oh, well, no, there was, I didn't even have um, a computer, really. I had a computer, but it was only the... All that was on my computer when I opened was my um, my inventory. And that was quite radical. A lot of the other bookshops... You know, I said, you know, I, this is really helpful, this inventory. And then, you know, the Internet had a presence, so I investigated that. And I was one of the first small businesses in Vancouver to actually get a web page presence. But, of course, e-commerce, it was people weren't selling things on the Internet really then. They were just selling their ideas, right, or their presence. And and uh, then email became part of it, and, and then it was... Uh, you know, in the beginning, what our biggest um, competition was was the big box store, the big box uh, bookstore that was charging, you know, discounting their books. That was, but then my store was was so unique that it really didn't matter so much. And then, of course, as Amazon and everything started to come in, and then you know, uh, as humans are wont to do, they think that everything cheaper is better. So, so it, uh, I read about the store activity, um, at your store in particular, around 9-11. Um, can you describe some memories from that time a little bit? The context I'm trying to create here is that how, how that moment was emblematic of book culture and the importance of community bookstores in general. Um, I read that you described, you described your store in particular as a place where people found comfort. Can you yes. talk about that? Can you describe that? Oh, it was, uh, I'll, you know... I just hope as as long as I live, I will always have the memory for that day because it was, of course, such an incredible um, and sad day. Um, you know, from the moment I heard on the radio in the morning that this had happened until, you know, I realized the immensity of it and phoning friends in New York. You know, friends of mine were partners in Windows of the World restaurant, you know, and trying to get in touch with them and different people and just, you know, is everybody okay? Then going to the shop and I didn't even think about the shop. I mean, I, I, I went late, you know, I mean, I was always there, you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning to open up. I didn't get there till 11 and there was people outside the door just waiting to come in. And then all day long, people just kept coming in and talking and talking and then, you know, we'd, you know, they'd start pulling books off the shelves and then we'd talk about food and I'd say, oh, you know, so I would just sort of divert the conversation into food and what are we going to have, what are you going to make for dinner tonight? And um, so then over the next days, it just carried on like that. 
people realized that this was a great way to um, get over their distress was to take their sorrow into the kitchen and cook for the people that they loved and be together. Um, it was wonderful. It was you know wonderful to be able to make something good out of a of a very very sad situation. You know, it's so interesting the parallel um, in the present day with all the school shootings that are happening in, especially in the United States, um, a bunch of, there was a, there was a protest where a bunch of students decided to basically call it a day and not attend school. But uh, what's happening right now, um, and two of the bookstores actually that are part of this series, they're closed in solidarity with the students. And, um, but they're allowing the students to come to these bookstores to have these conversations. And, Again, rewind to 2001, and then now you fast forward to the present, and you see these sort of like global tragic events uh, happening around us. But doesn't matter the era; people are choosing bookstores to go and voice their concerns and have those conversations. And it's it's uh, obviously sad that's what what's happening is happening. But it's great to see that um, there are these beacons of light, sort of, and uh, without sounding too cliche. Yes, well, it is bookstores. I've you know, when I closed my bookstore, it was a very, very tough decision to do. But, you know, it all got down to finances. I wasn't making enough money. I was working, um, you know, seven days a week and exhausting myself. And it was just, I said, you know, you can't do this for the rest of your life. You've got to, you've got to shift. And sadly, it means closing this lovely store. And that was a very difficult thing, knowing how many people took solace in the store. But to the same degree, a lot of people had stopped taking solace in the store because some people felt guilty about coming because they were either getting their recipes online or their books online. And uh, so we didn't have quite the same comforting thing. Of course, until I announced I was closing and then the store was full. From the day I announced it till the day I closed, I mean it was, it was very lovely and heartwarming to know that people were were sad that I had done this, and uh, you know, and many people said, "Well, we know you need to take a break, but come back and do this again." And I said, "Well, who knows? You know, who knows what will ever happen in life?" But I, um, I just think bookstores, and I, whenever I'm in any place where there's a bookstore. I go in there and I start talking. <laughs> what does the word bookstore mean to you in 2018? It it means education. It means um, conversation. It uh, it just means being able to walk away with a new friend in, under your arm that uh, will hopefully you'll enjoy and uh, be able to pass on to somebody else. Now you've had culinary giants pass through your store. Um, can you talk about some of the memorable classes and demonstrations that happened and how you orchestrated all of that? Well, I mean, of course, I worked very closely with the publishers when I would find out um, somebody was having uh, a new book come out. Um, I would just automatically, you know, go to them and say, okay, you know, what's the possibility of getting this person to come to Vancouver? What can I do? And, uh, you know, so often sometimes... Um, they would say, well, just give us um, some event ideas, like what do you want to do, how many books do you want to sell? So I would come up with a whole idea of uh, what I could do, how many books I could sell for them, and um, 
you know, what that would entail, what I would be, you know, looking for the author to do. And, you know, some of the authors didn't want to do anything. They just wanted to show up and sign books. So I would just find a way around that, of getting other chefs to do their cooking and things. I mean, there was all, I had a million angles of how to get somebody there that I thought the community would appreciate. And uh, so, um, I mean, just, there was so many different people and so many, like, you know, funny, funny experiences and very few sad ones, really. I think, you know, I could probably count on one hand the disappointments I had over 20 years with a visiting guest. But, um, you know, for Anne Adria, for instance, you know, we did this wonderful event with him in, in an outside event. And then, and he was kind of a, you know, just a little bit cold towards me when we were doing the outside of event. And then the next day he came into the bookshop and as soon as he walked into the bookshop, his whole demeanor changed and he went, oh, oh, I get what this woman is all about. She's really all about a bookshop. You know, she's not just an event planner. She's a bookshop person. And then he walked around with me and he couldn't speak English or he, well, he understood English, but he didn't like to speak it. But so he didn't understand what I was saying, and then he'd respond, and we just had this wonderful conversation for about forty-five minutes about all the books, and and then he did his uh, a little chat to the media in the store, and it was getting late, and I knew they had a plane to catch, and I said to his handler, I said, "Are you going to go?" He goes, "I've never seen this man so relaxed in my life. We're wow. not moving him. I don't care if we miss the plane." <laughs> it took the environment. It, quite, it, it took the environment of a bookstore to get him to kind of disarm himself. Exactly. That's fantastic. Magical moments, you know, and and people like the um, same thing when Gordon Ramsay came and he was all in a huff because he'd missed his plane and he didn't want it. He wasn't going to come. And I said, no, he said, well, I'll be late for the event. I said, don't worry, it'll all go. He came and we had a wonderful event and then he was in town for a few days and he kept coming back to the store. Every time he'd be, he's supposed to be somewhere and his publisher would phone and say, do you know where he is? And, you know, we've got an interview for him. And then he'd just walk in the door and he'd say, oh, I just want to hang out here. I don't want to do the interview. <laughs> and then he ended up buying hundreds of dollars worth of books that we shipped back to England for him. You know, these are the, again, just that knowing that you've provided an, an environment that will make everybody comfortable. It, it sounds Whether like it, it sounds like it changed that these individuals' uh, experiences of Vancouver too, in general. Just the the in yes. terms of the overall enhancement of their experience in that city. Yes, um, I read that you were all on. I found this fascinating. You were on the James Beard Award Cookbook Selection Committee. Can you? Yes, for six years. Yeah. Can you that put me great. put me uh, as a fly on the wall and just explain how that all goes down? So. Um, when you're on the, the cookbook committee, um, how we used to do it, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, that's been quite a few years now. I was on it for six years. But what we would do is we would meet in New York four times a year. And, you know, the first time we would meet and discuss, um, you know, the books that were coming out that year. And then people would, um, the publishers would submit all the books that they wanted to be in the running and then everybody would pick out categories, you know, who, who's in charge with what categories. And then they had judges for your categories. And it was just, it was really interesting because we we would all learn about um, all the different books that were coming out. And um, then 
I was, uh, we had a few bookstore owners. There was the, from Kitchen Arts and Letters in New York, and then myself, and then there, this was at that time, and then there was other um, food writers and uh, uh, people that had written books. And so a really nice cross-section of minds and you know, looking at uh, everything in a, in a different, from a different angle. So great conversations and a lot of work. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and then of course you would always know who the winners were before the James Beard Awards. So you had to keep everything under wraps. And that was quite, that was very fun too, because one time I had uh, Judy Rogers from the Zuni Cafe in to do an event and, um, we, she did a wonderful event and then we went out for dinner and we were having, you know, a lovely chat and then, um, you know, I just said, oh, well, good luck with, um, good luck. I hope you get, you know, nominated and win all the awards this year and just whatever, you know, you know, ha, ha, ha. So then at the actual awards, she not only won for best cookbook in her category, but she won for best overall book. Well, I'd known all that while she was there. And when we, at the awards, she came up and she said, she goes, oh, isn't this, you know, I said, oh, it's so wonderful. I'm just so pleased. And then I told her, I said, you know, I, I had to keep that under my belt when we were having dinner. And she said, you knew? She couldn't believe. She couldn't be. I can't believe you knew and didn't tell me. <laughs> I said, well, that's just the way it is. You just don't. But it was tough. But it was so wonderful to see her win. That's terrific. Um, back to the bookstore. When... In your mind, what did you do better than any other bookstore? Well, I think a lot of the um, events that we did, like, for instance, um, we had one that I called Eating Between the Leaves, and it was a cookbook club of sorts. So people, I would have 14 people in the club, and they would sign up for six sessions. So we'd do it once a month for six months. I would choose the books. They would be based, they would be a little more memoirish, not so much recipe oriented, but all about food. And so I would give them the book, they would read it, they would come back, we would discuss the book, and then we would cook a meal for them out of the heart of the book. So if it was like a French theme book, we'd cook a French meal, Chinese, Chinese, you know, whatever. And uh, that, uh, and so of course the guests, I mean, they just, loved this because they would sit down, they'd have a lovely meal, they'd have a glass of wine, you know, pro properly paired wine. We'd have a wonderful discussion about the book and they'd carry on. Well, I did that for um, 11 years, twice a year. We did these events and it was marvelous. And then I did another one, a bit of a spinoff called the One Book Club. And that was a book, a recipe book. And so they'd come five times, and I'd give them a different sequence to cook out of. So they'd have to go home and cook out of it, and then come back. And we would discuss what everybody cooked, and what worked, and what didn't. You know, did their friends like it? Did their family? And that was very, very successful. And really just got people cooking even more so, and entertaining more. And um, and then another one was the seasonal book experience. So every season, like on the first of spring, first of autumn, people would get a phone call and say, your seasonal book is here. And they'd come down to the shop and I'd give them a cup of tea and, and I'd give them their surprise book. 
And uh, so things like that, we were just constantly coming up with a new idea to encourage people to cook. Constantly innovating. Constantly. Always just kept on going all the time. It was just uh, sort of nonstop with new ideas. And of course, then that was over and above all the other events we did with authors. Right. And now, is this, in, is this innovation something that's necessary? Like, and I guess my, my question is, how does a bookstore evolve today? Well, I do think you do need to have, like, for instance, Kitchen Arts and Letters, they've got this whole thing with the 92nd Street Y, which I think is very good. Um, it just keeps people thinking about them every time they're, you know, they're posting the events and sending out things. It's what we're doing. They're there selling books. It um, it's it just keeps it alive. They don't have the same, you know, I had a much bigger store. I mean, I designed it with a kitchen in it and things like that. So they can't do that sort of thing. You know, and the, the one in Montreal, he, he took my idea and put it in Montreal. And he does lots and lots of cooking classes. He probably doesn't sell as many books as I did, but he still, you know, he's got something going on there every day. I think he even sells like fresh eggs every week and things like that. So you just have to have other reasons for people to come in. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that that will change and then people are just going to start going to bookstores just to buy books and nothing else. Um, but I think if you're a specialty store like I was, you have to come up with something that's a little different. Um, of course, now, secondhand, there's one little bookshop in Vancouver that I go to all the time, and they sell used books and new books. They'll have the odd little poetry event. They don't have a lot of space, but it's just, you know, again, a wonderful little place to go in, and you can come out of there with, you know, you might have spent $5 on something, on an old book, or you might buy a new book for $20. But... Um, it's you've got a bit of variety, and you'll you're always going to see something different, and um, something that you know you'd never heard of before. As you, I think that's what the public needs to understand that bookstores they're, they're so broad, and what they can showcase you. The internet isn't necessarily you know it's um, it's more one dimensional. Can you talk a little bit about being everything to everyone versus specializing like you did in one area as a retail choice or strategy? Like, did you did you find that that benefited you? Uh, did you find that it was a bit of a hindrance? Any any thoughts on that? Well, I think in the end it was probably uh, a bit of a hindrance because of the advent of the recipe online. I think in the end that was probably what... Um, um, halted my business more than anything when people just said, oh, why do I need a cookbook? If I want to make beef bourguignon, I just Google it and there's the recipe. Um, my sister did that. Friends were doing that, you know, and they just were all, you know, like, oh, no, we don't need to buy the book. So when you're one-dimensional like I was, that became a hindrance. Yeah, that's interesting because I... I... What I'm seeing in in my cohort, at least, so I have a, I have a four year old, and um, we love to cook in the house. And the iPad and so the New York Times, the cooking app, you have access to all the recipes, and you can you can pull them up. And you know, it's it is very simple. There's a simplicity to it that you know obviously can't be beat. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to encourage the the usage uh, of 
of the physical book, turning pages, uh, looking th- looking things up, using the index. And with kids, the book is actually kind of a prop for entertainment, if that makes any sense. Whereas yes, the, definitely. Whereas the yeah. ad- Whereas the iPad, um, so I can see one, I can see one, one, one group of people wanting to just have it quick and convenient. But with, with this new generation, we are, I'm longing for physical books and objects so that my kid can sort of ingratiate himself with them. So it's interesting. And hearing you say that made me think of, well, I I actually want to buy more cookbooks because it's, it, it gives me a way to have quality time with my family as opposed to a quick 30 minutes and we're out doing our own thing after dinner. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, you know, so I'm, I'm, I do feel, you know, I, like when I made the decision to stop, I just said, you know, I do have hope that this, it will continue on. And that if people are, you know, are in the right environment, they've got the right thing going where like, for instance, their bookstore, their, their rent is not prohibitive. They've got um, enough people coming that they can have a, comfortable living carry on do it and i think it will come around again and i think that i i have great faith and uh, in the and hope for the youth that they are going to just say forget it i want books back again i want to be off the screen i don't want all that screen time i want to i want to do things differently you know including getting out into nature and and uh, reading and spending time with their hands, not just, you know, clicking. There is a bit of a resurgence, and, and I'm going to ask you about that in, in, a, in a little bit. But I, you mentioned rent, and you mentioned, like, you know, economics of the business. Was rent a factor for you? Like, were are, are landlords on the whole, in your opinion, are they friendly to these types of businesses? Or is it pretty much a very cut and dry, you know, rents go up? Well, I mean, the world has generally, in that regard, become very cut and dry. It's just, you know... This is what I'm charging. I don't care. And, you know, and a lot of landlords, their their property taxes have gone up a lot, too. And, you know, for instance, there'll be a building that's a low-level building. Well, the property taxes go up because, really, a developer wants that building. They want to tear it down and and uh, build a, a high-rise. So the city goes along with more of the developers than with the... Um, Landlord, so then the landlord doesn't have a lot of choice but to charge more rent, but a small business can't can't foot the bill. Can't, uh, yeah, they just can't. You know, no. it's just it's just prohibitive. So, you know, you you have to find um, you get yourself in a position where you've got a, a great landlord to have a bookstore. You know what, though, you actually touched on a great point because a lot of times there's a myopic view on this and that's that landlords are just sort of all unscrupulous and they're just going after the dollar. But this whole other dynamic of, you're right, they're they're pressured on the other end. Um, yes. And it's so, it is kind of a vicious cycle, so to speak. We have a U.S. Senator, Chuck Schumer. He recently spoke about what he described as, quote, his sympathetic attitude to tech giants. He said that the world would be a worse place overall if the Amazons were not in it. Do you agree? No. <laughs> no, I I don't. I think I just think it's it's sad that um, we've embraced that 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 idea that technology has uh, been a great benefactor. I I just think that there's lots of ideas in technology that are great. 
but not to the extent of where a few big companies want to own the world and don't care who they take down in their in their path in that way. That's how I look at it. You know, I mean now I mean I know young people now especially when they don't live in the city, if they live in small communities, they don't even know anything, where to get anything. They just go to Amazon for everything. They just, you know, again, one-dimensional, just like, oh, I heard about a new hula hoop, Amazon. I heard about a new book, Amazon. heard about smoked paprika, Amazon. (laughs) You know, what, you know, what what joy is that, really? What, what, What good, I mean, it just takes away from, again, going to a food shop and seeing all the other wonderful foods and talking to somebody about why this works and whatever. I believe in in humans talking to each other as much as possible. And I think that uh, um, shopping on the internet, like, it, it, like I say, it, has, it can have its advantages. But it, um, on the overall, no. I think that we've... Uh, We've gone overboard with it. When you see now that Amazon is opening physical stores um, across uh, across the United States, there's, I think they're they're up to number yep. fourteen or seventeen now. What do you make of that? Well, again, it, it, to me, it just feels like there was a business that you know said, uh, "Okay, well, we're going to be you know our business is going to get rid of a lot of small business, and then when they're all gone." We'll open up and we'll we'll have we'll have the business for the people that do want to go into a store. But a lot of the but so many stores now they're not you can't even really buy anything and take it home with you. It's all like a showroom. I don't know if Amazon's doing that. Well, or if you can act. Their books are their books are I've been in a couple of them just, you know, because I I'm I'm a bibliophile and I'm just curious about books in general. But mm-hmm. they their their innovation is that every every book is face out. So you're not looking mm-hmm. at spines and, um, yeah. they're selling what that particular zip code is buying. They're using all the data that they have access to, to basically just stock whatever, um, sells in that zip code. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the one thing I, I can say just as someone who spent a lot of time in, in a bookstore and, and you run your own for so many years, there is a difference in the dynamic, um, having been inside an Amazon store versus being in a store like yours. Um, it's a little more robotic. There's not as much conversation. Yeah. People are kind of going through the motions. Uh, they're mostly there out of curiosity, but there isn't, yeah. there isn't a feel. And I don't know how to describe that feeling other than to say, go into an independent bookstore on a, on a Thursday night or on a Saturday morning and you'll get that feel. Um, yeah. so the feel is lacking for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, um, it's just, again, anything, any business, like, you know, even, you know, from the time I was a little girl, when you would go to a big department store or, gro- or a big grocery store, like Safeway, for instance, you know, um, you never had the same experience as when you went to a small little local store, um, that's never really changed. You know, the the small businesses that back then, small business, the country was built on small business and all of those people that paid taxes, I mean, it really kept a country going. Um, you know, it's just, it's all changed. You know, everything's changed and the whole structure that the, uh, 
Um, but when anything that's big is never going to be as personal. doesn't matter how pretty it is or, um, you know, I mean, the people can be nice, but they're not going to have the same um, feeling towards whatever the product be as a small independent business owner and people. What change would you like to see within the industry as a whole? Of course, the publishers, they bought into Amazon, you know, really. I mean, the publishers, they made it very difficult, too, for small business. I mean, some of them, yes, you know, even up to the very end. I mean, I worked with publishers and had some good relationships, and but it was becoming more difficult to get, um, you know, a different kind of discounting or, you know, some of them gave free shipping or whatever, but it's still, you know, there's no way you can compete with what they were willing to give Amazon or, you know, first releases, for instance, or all sorts of things. So, I mean, it, but the publishers, I mean, they just, they got into a, um, a tussle themselves, right? They, they didn't know how to do it any other way. So, I mean, I think the advent of some smaller publishers again, and now like, for instance, you know, look at Random House, Penguin, or I mean, they're all owned, you know, <laughs> big company. So if the more the small independent publishers that open that can have a a bit of a budget to work with the bookstores and get the whole uh, feeling back again, that's another way so that it can happen. Do you think authors do enough to support bookstores? Well, um, I think a lot of authors now, too, it's, you know, again, Amazon has made it really easy. Well, I don't really need to go on a book tour anymore because Amazon's just going to sell it. Why do I need to travel all that way? Why I don't really need to connect with my public. Or they say, well, I'm not making that much as an author anymore, so I need to be paid if you want me to come. You have to pay a, a, a speaker fee or an author fee because it's true. A lot of writers aren't making the same kind of money they made from publishing anymore. So that's tough too because like for people like me, I couldn't pay anybody. I just had to, you know, my whole sort of stick was I'll sell lots of books and I'll promote your books forever. They'll always be in my store. And, you know, after your event, I'll have, you know, 100 signed copies and I'll sell those. You know what I mean? There was a whole thing around that but that didn't become as important to the author as it as it had been and then you know a lot of the chefs too became too famous right they all became tv shows and then oh i've got no time for that or it doesn't matter or just or the book even writing the book was just another thing in their promotional tool it wasn't you know, where they, and most of them had other writers do it for them. They just put their name on it, you know, pictures and <laughs> whatever. So that wasn't the, that's another thing that's kind of sad too. You know, to me, you know, to get a book contract, I mean, that was the most wonderful thing in the world and to spend a lot of time doing it. You know, like the people like Judy Rogers and Paula Wolfert and, you know, all of those great cookbook authors that would spend years doing a book and putting their whole heart and soul into it. I mean, that, that doesn't happen with a lot anymore. A lot of, like I say, it's just another part of the promotional package. In your opinion, is there a great innovation or company in this space that nobody's starting or that nobody's done yet? Hmm, that's a good, 
Very interesting question, but um, I'd have to think about that one. Okay. Well, what I want to do next, actually, is I want to do what's called a lightning round. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, and you can answer them as shortly as you like. They can be yes or no. If you want to extrapolate on any of them, you can. Just sort of to get a flavor who you are and in what your bookstore represented. Um, who was your favorite regular? Probably, you know, the, the chef that um, really, you know, there was a number of chefs that just knew that the book was teaching them. And I really loved that. I loved the fact that they, and I always said to all the young chefs, the best chefs in the world read cookbooks. And I, and I truly believe that. Do you think that print will always exist? I do. What are the characteristics of a great bookseller? Knowing your product. Liking people, wanting to talk, and not not to be, you know, too pushy. You know, you're not... I mean, I always said I never really wanted anybody, even though it was great if somebody said, oh, I want to come in and buy 10 books. Yes, well, the money's great, isn't it? But I never liked people buying more than two, maybe three at the most, because I knew that they wouldn't read them. (laughs) So trying to just say, no... Just buy one book today. Come back next week and buy another one. I read that you're now cottywampling. And my question is, how's that going? And and has the destination become less vague? Well, yes, it has become less vague. Um, I have currently recently bought a house in, in a small village in France on the Loire River. And I am renovating it. And this village is actually called the Village of Words. They have a word festival there every year. It did at one time have 16 antiquarian bookshops. Now that's changed because a lot of the the uh, people that own them have gotten old and died and uh, um, are retired. And so nobody's really taken them over. So it's down to about five bookshops now, um, which is still for a village of 5,000 people. Wonderful. And there's... Um, People have words written all over their houses by, it has to be a quote from a writer. <laughs> and then you can, the, the, the village mayor will say, okay, you can have that on your, on your house <laughs> or your business. So I love that aspect of this village. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm going to renovate this house and hopefully it will become a house a home for me and a house I can share with others and it's going to have two libraries in it and uh, a nice big kitchen and a big garden and um, we'll see how it evolves but I, I'm sort of hoping it'll be a guest house of sorts. Sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've been in I've been to Vancouver about a half dozen times the last two times um, I've been inside your store, and the first question that I had when I heard you were closing was, where's the piano? Uh, that was a tough one, because I, my apartment in Vancouver is too small for a piano of that size, and and uh, the friend who gave it to me, he didn't want it back. Nobody in his family wanted it. I tried to give it away to a few people, and then... Um, a friend of mine just one day she was in the store. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with this piano. I just I can't give it away. And she said, Oh, I'll put it on Craigslist. 
And she did the next day. It was the last, the day before the last day. The man came in and said, here's some money. I want the piano. And he said, but he said, I know how much this piano means to you. I know. Um, and he said, if you ever want it back, you know, <laughs> you can have it back. But he said, but my wife t- said that we have to have it in the meantime. Wow. Well, so you know, at you least go. you know that there's a, you have a pathway back to it. It was a beautiful piano, by the way. I mean, it was very memorable. Oh, I loved And I loved it, how yeah. you kind of uh, accessorized it with the books. Um, yeah. What are you reading right now? I'm reading a little thing called, um, a Japanese book called um, Spring Garden. And I think I bought it for the title because I've got this garden in France that uh, when I go back in April, I'll be planting. And I've never had my own big garden before, you know, a little patch and a balcony is all. So this is my first big garden, and uh, I thought this would be inspiration. What one to two books had a massive impact on you? Well, you know, I love War and Peace. I found that a fascinating book. And I think that, you know, I want to reread that. But the other one would probably be my Robbie Burns poetry book that was my grandfather's, a beautiful leather-bound edition. If you weren't a bookseller, what would you be? Um, I don't know, maybe a marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be always helping people with relationships. but Complete the sentence for me. If I could do it all over again... I would not change much, but I would have um, I might have lived somewhere else when I was very young, as opposed to living in Vancouver all my life. I think I might, the only thing I would have liked to have done is move away for a few years when I was about 20. Just to see, just to see, um, like in a different culture, like a, you know, a different country, you know, I would have gone to school in another country. I think that would have been very um, healthy as opposed to, I mean, there's something lovely about growing up in, in the same community and living there all your life. But, but uh, I think uh, being away for a few years in a different country is really healthy when you're young. Great advice. Um, we actually, it ties into the next uh, complete this sentence. Vancouver is a very different city from the one I grew up in. (laughs) What book have you recommended the most over the years? Probably A.J. Liebling's An Appetite for Life. Wonderful read about food. Or or actually, I think the actual title is called Between Meals. A.J. Liebling's Between Meals. And it's a book about when he was was in the 20s and he went to the Sorbonne in Paris and used all of his allowance to eat out in restaurants. Great. Just wrote it down. I'll check it out. Um, Finally, what book do you find yourself coming back to as years go by? Well, the the one book that I truly spend most time with, I think, from a culinary aspect, is the Flavor Bible. Because it's... a I look at the, you know, what ingredients go with what. I see what I have in the fridge, and I'm always creating recipes out of it. 
and then I'm always, you know, just it's a constant um, learning research of of uh, of pairing ingredients together. I just think it was a, a brilliant book, and um, like I said, it's the one I I actually used to take it to when I would go to Paris for a month and whatever, and, and even before I bought a house in this village, when I'd go there, I'd always take it with me. The, that's a good uh, modifiers. What do you? What book do you carry around with you the most? And that that, yeah. that kind of yeah. There you go, Barbara Joe. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much um, for oh, your you're time. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, I I wish you well on the Cody Wampling, and uh, I look forward to seeing this vision of yours take a new form at some point in the future. Well, thank you very much, Vic. Take care. You too. Bye bye now. I'm Vic Singh, and you've been listening to Book Stories. Book Stories is produced by Alternate Thursdays in Los Angeles. 